Ephesians chapter 3, if you're using the church Bible, you'll find it on page 1174. We commence our reading at verse 1 of chapter 3. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through him, through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Amen. To the church at Ephesus, as we turn today, to page 1174, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. This church that we've seen is made up mainly of men and women and boys and girls who were Gentiles before they became Christians. Once they were outsiders, they were dead in trespasses and sins, they were excluded from belonging to the people of God, they had no share in the promises of God, and as we saw last time, they were without God and without hope in the world. But now, these men and women 
these boys and girls are pardoned their sins. They belong to God's people. And they rejoice in the promises of God. And as we saw at the end of our study the last time, they are the very temple of God, in which God dwells and is worshipped. A momentous change has occurred in their lives. They have every spiritual blessing in Christ. And that is true of you and me and us this morning who have been saved by Christ. But how has this happened in the lives of these people in Ephesus? How has God in Christ reached the Gentiles? The answer is, of course, through Paul. He is the human agent. He is the link in the chain between the Holy God and his Christ, the Saviour, and the Gentiles who were outside of the church and beyond his grace. And so now in chapter 3, verses 1 to 13, Paul talks about himself. He talks about himself. Paul doesn't often do that. And when he does, it is never to promote self. He always uh, does so to exalt Christ. And he wants others to give glory to Christ as he talks about himself. And in that, there's a lesson surely Right at the very outset. Our day and generation people love to talk about self. And it's order to promote self and advance self. And to, uh, to show how good self is. That's not what Paul does. And that's not what we as Christians should do. If and when we come to speak about self. It must always be. To exalt Christ. And here now in these verses. uh, Chapter 3 verses 1 to 13. Paul wants the Ephesians. To understand that he was. And is God's chosen instrument. In Christ. To take the gospel to the Gentiles. And so the title of our sermon this morning. Is Paul. The gospel, the Gentiles, and the angels. And we're going to look at each of those in turn. First of all, Paul. Paul. Let's note the references to himself. Verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul. There's an emphasis there. It's literally, I myself, Paul. Verse 2, he talks about given to me. Verse 3, we have again the phrase to me. Verse 7, we have the phrase again to me. And verse 8, again, the phrase to me. Then verse 13, my tribulations. 
So this is a section that's about I and to me and my. His references to himself are many. But they are not self-serving, as I mentioned earlier. Rather, Paul is marked by a deep humility, even as he talks about himself. Look at verse 8, where he says, Although I am less than the least of all the saints. That's how he thinks of himself. And someone once said, if you could make up a word, he's literally saying, I am the least est of all the saints. Paul knows how unworthy he is of God's saving grace in Christ. He puts himself, as it were, on at the bottom of the pile. He he envisages in his mind's eye all of the people that God and Christ is going to save or has saved. And Paul says, I'm at the end of the line. Why does he say that? Is he just um, engaging in exaggeration? Well, no, Paul has in mind here the wicked life he lived before he was saved. The things he did as a non-Christian, they are etched on his mind in the same way as we will have our name, perhaps, etched or carved on a ring or a bracelet. And you see, Paul knows that before he came to Christ, he was a proud Jew. Full of his own religion, full of his good works, full of his law keeping, full of his circumcision and the Passover, the sacraments. He was a man who trusted in himself. He was a man who rejected Jesus as Messiah. And it wasn't just a question that he rejected Jesus himself. He went around from city to city persecuting those who believed in Jesus. Putting them to death. Yes, that's why Paul says, I am less than the least of all the saints. On the basis of his former life, Paul knows he deserved hell. And he knows that he was an arrogant, ignorant, dangerous man before he became a Christian. But God showed him grace. And Paul talks here um, three times about grace. And he showed grace saving him. And we read of that in Acts chapter 9. But Paul's emphasis, while he he has his salvation in mind, that is not his emphasis here. His emphasis is on his ministry as an apostle. That was an act of God's grace to him. Look at verse 2. Surely you have heard about the administration. We might say the ministry of God's grace given to me. You've heard about the special work that God and Christ has called me to do as an apostle. Look at verse 7. 
I became a servant of this gospel according to the gift of God's grace through the working of his power. Yes, God showed this ignorant, arrogant, dangerous man grace in saving him. But also grace then in putting him into the ministry as an apostle. So Paul, when Paul talks about himself, he emphasizes his unworthiness. What Christ has done in him, and what Christ has made him, and what Christ has called him to be and to do. And fellow Christian, how do you talk about yourself? Are you marked by this humility? Or are you one who emphasizes your academic qualifications? Are you someone who's always talking about your position and your influence in your place of work or in the community? That's not becoming of the Christian. Because whatever we are and whatever we have and whatever we're unable to do, whatever work you do, it also is by the grace of God that you do it and pursue it. And fellow believer, we're to think of our lives as Paul did. He talks here about being a servant of the gospel, verse 7. A servant of of the gospel. And that's how we're to see ourselves. Servants of the gospel. Are we a servant of the gospel? Are you a servant of the gospel in your family? In your family. That yes, I have a role as a father. I have a role as a mother. To provide for my children. To put food on the table. To clothe them. To help them with their homeworks. Right, to train them in, in manners and other things. But above all of that, I am a servant of the gospel to these children. To these people that dwell in my home. And is that not how we ought to see ourselves also in the workplace? Yes, I'm the servant of whoever employs me. And I give my all to the work that I do. But in doing that, I am serving Christ. And I am revealing Christ. Young people and children. In school. You are there to learn. To read, to write, to count. To understand the world of science and nature. Or and geography and history. But in all of those things. You are there as the servant of Christ. And so here then we have Paul. But then let's think secondly this morning about the gospel. About the gospel. Paul is an apostle. Called to preach the gospel. Yet only once in this section does Paul use the word gospel. Instead he prefers the word gospel mystery 
And he uses that word three times to talk about what he communicates to people. What he communicates to the Gentiles. It's the mystery. Look at verse 3. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. This mystery uh, that he has, this, uh, he, it has been given to him by God. It's by revelation. It's not by study. It's not by research. It's not because he, was a, he had a very sharp mind, which he did have. But it's by revelation. Look at verse 4. My insight into the mystery of the Christ. And then verse 9. To make plain to everyone the fellowship of the mystery. Now here's the question. Why does Paul use the word mystery instead of the word gospel? Why does he use the word mystery almost as an equivalent for gospel? And what in fact does he mean by the word mystery? Well, we've got to appreciate the difference between English and Greek here. Uh, and in the meaning of the word mystery. In English, a mystery is something that cannot be explained. Something that is obscure. Something that cannot be known. Something that is a puzzle. We say of something, it's a mystery. I can't work it out. I left that, the keys there. By the door. And I come back an hour later. And I'm looking for them. And they're not there. They're gone. It's a mystery. And especially when there's nobody else in the house but yourself. It's an even greater mystery. Now in Greek, a mystery is very different. A mystery is the sense in which these books, the children's books, are written as mysteries. And it's this, something previously hidden, but presently revealed. That's very different, isn't it? Something previously unknown, but now presently revealed or known. It's more like our word secret. You perhaps have had a friend or someone who, unknown to you and behind your back, um, they've started dating someone. And then they become engaged. And you say to them, boy, you kept that a secret. That's a mystery. In other words, it was hidden until they chose the moment to reveal it. And Paul, that's the claim he's making about the gospel as he understands it and as he preaches it. There's something in Paul's gospel that was previously hidden, that is now presently revealed by God to him and is being preached by him. So what is it? What is this? It is the standing Christ is giving Gentiles in and through the gospel. That's the mystery. That's the thing previously hidden 
that is now revealed to Paul and that is now preached by Paul. Look at what he, how he puts it in verse 4. My insight into the mystery of the Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations. This wasn't made known in the Old Testament, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God to God's holy apostles. Not just Paul, but to the other apostles, but particularly Paul. That through the gospel, Gentiles, and the NIV translation is brilliant here. New King James doesn't come anywhere near it. That God's, the gospel, that through the gospel, Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in his promise in Christ. That's the mystery. Together, together, together. The Gentiles, previously outside, are now in Christ together with the Jews. Equal with the Jews. Heirs with the Jews. Members with the Jews. Sharers with the Jews in the promises. And yes, Peter glimpsed this mystery. You remember the time when he was sent down in Acts chapter 8? He and John to the Samaritans. And they were a little bit outside the Jews, not as far as the Gentiles. If you think of circles, here's the Jews, the inner circle, and then the next circle out was the Samaritans, and then away beyond that circle was the Gentiles. And in Acts 8, Peter saw not just the Jews being brought in, but the Samaritans. And then you remember when he was sent to Cornelius the Gentile, and the vision that came down from heaven of the sheet and you see, Paul or Peter up to this point had clean and unclean, us and them. And the Lord was saying to Peter, as you go to Cornelius, realize this, that in Christ now there is no clean and unclean. There is no us and them. And yet Peter never grasped that fully. Sure he didn't. Because once he went down to the churches in Galatia and Paul was there, um, Peter refused to eat with the Gentiles because of this whole clean on thing, this us and them. And you see, it's Paul that grasps this great truth most clearly and most powerfully. And he communicates it uh, most fearlessly. And actually, he lives it out most consistently. And every Gentile that's converted to Christ, he says, you're my brother. You're an equal with me. You're an heir with me. You're a partaker with me of all the blessings that God has given to me in Christ. And you see, that's the gospel. And that's the mystery. And we need to have the mystery in the gospel today as well. In our preaching and in our witnessing. And today's church needs to rediscover and it needs to put back into the gospel the mystery. This thing that was hidden that is revealed. This teaching of when we're in Christ we are equal. 
because it has been lost. And when it's lost, it leads the non-Christian to make statements like this. I don't think the gospel is for me. The gospel is only for religious people. It makes the non-Christian not give a thought to the gospel because they think the gospel is only for the upstanding. Or they say, oh the gospel, that's for the moneyed people. That's for the well-to-do. And you see, because the church has failed to emphasize the mystery that there is in the gospel, non-Christians often sense there is a them and there is an us about churches. And they will say, I'm not good enough. I couldn't go in among people like you. I wouldn't fit into your church the way I talk, the way I dress, where I live. And we've got to say to them, if we hold to the mystery of the gospel, that in Christ all these distinctions are wiped out, we've got to say to them, yes, you do belong. And yes, you will be equal. And yes, you will have the same promises. And there will be no us and them. To be faithful to the gospel, our lives, our attitudes, our speech, need to have this aspect of the mystery to them. We need to show sinners that whoever confesses the Christ that they are equal with us, accepted by us, included among us, blessed with us in the church. It doesn't matter what's their background. It doesn't matter their wealth or lack of it, their education or lack of it, their past or their present. In Christ they are heirs together, members together, sharers together. That's the gospel Paul preaches. We come then thirdly to the Gentiles. The Gentiles. We've thought about Paul. We've thought about the gospel. And now we think about the Gentiles. We noted earlier Paul's repeated references to himself. I, to me, and my. And now we want to notice twofold use of the words for you. For you. Because they are as significant in this passage. And significantly they occur in verse 1, the opening verse of the section and verse 13 the closing verse of the section look at verse 1 for this reason I Paul the prisoner of Christ for the sake of you look at verse 13 therefore I ask you not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for the sake of you and the for the sake of you of course refers to the Gentiles and he mentions them in verse 1, verse 6 and verse 8. 
for you, the Gentiles. This is Paul's particular mission field, the Gentiles. And his whole life is devoted to mission to the Gentiles. And if we read Acts, or are familiar with Acts, we'll know how he went to Cyprus, Asia Minor, that's modern Turkey, Macedonia, that's modern Greece, and he went to Europe for to take the gospel to chiefly Gentile places. To make this mystery known. And Paul has suffered shipwreck. And he's been stoned. And he's been driven out of cities. And he's experienced hunger and many other things for you, the Gentiles. And now he can write here in verse 1. Literally speaking, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Because he is in prison on account of his commitment to taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And he's in prison because he preaches this mystery. The Gentiles are equal in Christ with the Jews. And so how did he end up in prison for this? Well, Acts tells us about a journey to Jerusalem. And uh, Paul had a man, Trophimus, with him. A Gentile from Ephesus. And um, the Jews saw Paul and Trophimus so much together, this Jewish, this Jew and this, this Gentile, that when they found Paul in the temple... They were sure he would have brought the Gentile into the temple with him. And they stirred up a riot. And Paul was arrested. Now Paul hadn't brought Trophimus into the temple. But Paul was arrested because of his commitment to this particular Gentile as representative of his commitment to all the Gentiles. And he ended up in Rome, in prison from where he now writes this letter. And so he could say, a prisoner for you Gentiles. And look at verse 13, where he says, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you the Gentiles. You see, Paul suffers for the Gentiles. Paul is so committed to taking the gospel with its mystery to the Gentiles that he goes to prison for the Gentiles. Now here's the question for you and for me who are Christians this morning. What hardship will I endure? What hardship will you endure to reach the Gentiles in Carrickfergus? To reach those outside? To reach them with this gospel and its mystery? Will you endure rejection 
by family and friends? Are you prepared to endure scorn? Will you forgo your comforts to reach the unsaved around you? We are to pray and we are to work and we are to suffer and even to die to see those outside the church outside Christ reached with the gospel integrated into the church and recognized as equals in the church. And so Paul can describe himself as in prison for the Gentiles. But look at the other words that he uses. He's a prisoner in Rome. Nero is the emperor. But Paul doesn't say that I'm a prisoner of Nero. He says I'm the prisoner of Christ Jesus. That's significant, isn't it? What's he saying? He's saying Jesus Christ is over the imprisonment that I am now undergoing. He's over these adverse circumstances that I am now in because of my commitment to the gospel among the Gentiles. His imprisonment isn't a piece of bad luck. It isn't a misfortune or an unfortunate coincidence. It's not a chance happening. Paul says, this is happening to me as a minister to the Gentiles in the will and in the purpose of Christ. And how challenging that is to me and to you. And to all of us. To see the setbacks in life. The disappointments that come. Unemployment. Illness. Opposition. Whatever you want to slot in there. To see those not as bad luck. Or misfortune. But to see them as the purpose of Christ and the will of Christ for me at this stage of my life and work and witness. Paul, the gospel, the Gentiles, and finally, the angels. The angels. Paul could have stopped at verse 9. Or... As he does, I believe in his thought, he could have gone from verse 9 to verse 12 and he could have left out verses 10 and 11. And this passage would have made absolute sense because his thought, the continuity of his thought is verse 9 and then verse 12. But he sort of goes down a little bit of a side road as preachers sometimes do. And so why does he include verses 10 and 11? He refers here to rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. He's referring to angels, holy angels and fallen angels at this point in his letter. And so what is the relationship between Paul 
and his ministry and the gospel that he preaches that the Gentiles are equal in Christ to the Jews and what's all of that how does that all have a bearing and a significance for the angels we would never think or do you Certainly, I don't think of when I go out into Carrick Fergus and start talking to people about the gospel, I don't think of the angels. I can't think of a single time in my life when I thought about the angels in heaven as I go about my ministry to you and to others. And Paul's answer is this it's very interesting. The angels observe. The angels observe the church on earth. The angels are observing Paul's ministry. The angels are listening to Paul's gospel as he preaches it and says, These Gentiles, they're now equal. And they're partakers and they're heirs. And the angels are seeing the Gentiles coming in. And they're seeing the Gentiles being received. And the angels are watching this morning as we meet in worship. And they're hearing this sermon. And they're seeing the response that you are making to Christ and his word. And as they watch in Paul's day... And in our day, what do they do? They see something of the momentous work of God in Christ. In other words, they learn of God's salvation through you, through me, through Paul, through the Gentiles, through the church. And they see the great change that is happening. Not only in our relationship with God, but our relationships with each other. They see the hostility and the division of the world and of fallen sinful nature being removed. There's no longer rich and poor, male and female, young and old. There's no longer different classes. There's no longer slave and master. There's no longer married and single in the church. There's no longer Protestant and Catholic, loyalist and Republican. No, now, through the cross, look at verse 11. The manifold, uh, sorry, verse uh, 10. That now through the church... Through you, through me, through Paul, through the church in Ephesus, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. They are learning something about God and his wisdom and his grace through you, the church. And that his wisdom is not just um, single or but it's multi-faceted it's like the colours in a rainbow John Snott puts it this way I think it's very helpful he says I want you to imagine there's a great drama a great play that is being performed 
The world is the stage. The church member in every land are the actors. God himself is the uh, writer of the play and he redirects it and produces it. And act by act, scene by scene, the story continues to unfold. But who are the audience? They are the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. What an incentive for you and me to be like Paul. To be those who are humble, those who are servants of the gospel. To be those who have a clear grasp of the gospel that it eradicates distinctions in society and divisions. What a challenge it is to us to suffer for the Gentiles taking the gospel to people. And to see all of our circumstances in Christ. Because here's what happens as you do that. The angels in heaven see it. And they learn about God. And they learn about his greatness. And his wisdom. And his majesty. And his grace. As they look at you and me. And as they look at our church. And so here's my final question this morning. What are the angels learning from your life about God? Are they learning from your life? God is hard. He's mean. Can't be trusted. Because the angels are seeing in you an aspect of unbelief and disobedience. Or the angels seeing from you this morning, this God is to be loved and worshipped and served and delighted in. Because you are loving him in Christ. And you are delighting in him in Christ. What are they seeing from you and me and our church this morning? Take the name Paul out. Put your own name in. Harry, Margaret, Ronnie, the Gospel, the Gentiles, and the angels. Amen. Let's pray together. We thank you, Almighty God, for this great and glorious gospel that has come in Jesus Christ, that has impacted us in our lives. And, O Lord, we thank you that by it we are saved. And we thank you that by it we are made equal, one with the other. We're made equally valuable, equally important, Equally enriched. Equally blessed. We thank you for that. That there is none that is more blessed. uh, Or more preferred than another. Help us Lord God. To demonstrate this gospel in our words and in our actions. 
Help us, Lord God, to go to those who are outside the church today and to have the wrong impression of the gospel and to think that they would be inferior and they would be insignificant among us if they were to be saved and come into the church. Lord, forgive your church that she has lost the sense of the mystery that Paul understood and preached. Help us to understand it. Help us to preach it. And we pray for those that we have contact with through our church, that they might realize that in Christ, if they repent and believe, they are equal with us. And they are heirs with us and partakers with us of all the blessings that are in Christ Jesus. We ask for any who do not believe this morning, who are among us, that they might be brought to see that in Christ they will receive every spiritual blessing. And we ask it all in his name. Amen.